0: Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription and your donation will help pay our music licence, buy audio gear and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for younger ears. I'm chatting with Penny Moody, mum to Benji, five, and Elsie, two. Thank you for chatting with me today. No worries. Um, So you've told parts of your story and what it's um, like for you living with obsessive compulsive disorder Mm -hmm. on The Imperfects and No Filter with Mia Friedman. Um, And I'll put links to those podcast episodes in the show notes because they're really interesting episodes and you're so generous and honest with how much you share. Um, But what I'd really love to chat about today and what I'd like to hear about is how living with OCD has been for you as a mum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll start with our universal question. If you were stuck on a desert island and you could take a meal, a drink and a personal item, what would they be?
2: Oh, gosh. Meal is a hard one. I don't really have a favourite meal. I feel like I panic when people ask me this question. (laughs) It's like when they ask what your favourite movie is. I'm like, too many. I don't know. Um, I'll just go with what I eat the most, which is probably like a pesto pasta or like a pesto gnocchi. Um, So I think I'd do something pretty simple like that. Drink, I mean... I think I'm just fantasising about alcohol at the moment because I'm five months pregnant. Um, so it has to be alcoholic. Has anyone not said alcohol? Uh, I think I've had like one or two. Yeah. I, I It's think either it w- coffee or alcohol. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. I think it would be a pina colada <laughs> because I was actually on a desert island once. Well, it wasn't a desert island but it was an island in Zanzibar travelling with friends in my early 20s and we – Actually lived on pina coladas and cigarettes, I think, and it was heaven. <laughs> it was and really cheap pina coladas, um, and I think I put on about ten kilograms because of all the coconut cream. Um, but yeah, I think I would have to say pina colada. Um, and one personal item, I mean, the obvious one is a phone. I think I would say phone because then I can, I've got music. I think it would mainly be, it was some sort of music device. Yep. Maybe a Discman. Maybe I'll go old school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think something to listen to music.
0: Okay. Yeah. So to start and just as a bit of background, are you able to explain what OCD is and what subtype of OCD you live with?
2: Yep. Yeah, I can definitely try um, to explain what OCD is. Um, I mean, I think at its core it's a neurobiological disorder, I guess. It's, you know, it's a mental illness. Um, It's basically made up of, you know, as you would um, imagine, obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions will come in the form of fears, so... It's basically fear around uncertainty and that can be around so many different things. Um, most people learn to live with a certain amount of uncertainty because we can never be certain about anything in life um, or we can never be 100% certain. When you've got OCD, that uncertainty is very, um, very frightening and um, and you usually latch on to certain kind of fears. And then to try to neutralise those fears, you develop compulsions, um, which might make you feel better for a little while. But over the course of time, you know, usually make things worse. Um, So, yes, that's a very, like, general kind of description of what OCD is. Um, And from what I've read, it, it... when I say neurobiological disorder, it's it seems like it's genetically passed down. That's okay. what I think the research suggests. Um, I could be wrong, but that's what I've read. Um, but the biological part of it isn't always active. So, okay. like, maybe, you know, it's not till you're 30 that you'll start getting symptoms or even later in life. Um, I think it's different for everyone. So... Um, But in terms of what kind of subtype or category of OCD, it's kind of hard to really um, tease that out, I guess, because I think a lot of people have lots of different sort of kinds of OCD types. Like it sort of changes a lot and morphs as you maybe get older or go through different um, stages in your life. But generally... What I've had is what some people call pure O. So it's more about like the compulsions would generally be more mental than physical. So it will be like replaying things over in my head or try to remember something um, that I've said or done or um, or trying to seek reassurance from someone else, which I guess could be physical. Um, but more so than like lining things up perfectly or checking locks or things like that. they're the more physical compulsions. Yep. So it's been kind of more mental which which really I guess means it's more hidden hidden in some ways because people can't see what's going on um, in your mind. So that's what I've kind of dealt with.
0: So before you had Benji and Elsie, did you have concerns about how OCD might affect you post babies? I think I
2: did. I think it's something I definitely thought a lot about. Um, but I was always so sure I wanted kids that it never put me off having kids. I mean, I certainly know people who, you know, have um, a mental illness who have decided not to have kids, for example, because they don't want. And not not saying you definitely pass it down. That's that's not the case at all. But but for me, it was just I I absolutely knew I I wanted kids, um, and. Once I was pregnant, you know, the hormones are so all over the place. I think for the first trimester with Benji I was pretty anxious um, and I was on medication but I didn't know if I should be on medication because I wasn't seeing a psychiatrist at, at the time and I didn't know if this was going to be really um, like bad for the baby or not so I actually went to see a GP who sort of specialised in mental health and she actually, you know, said to me like... Um, you know, this particular medication you're on is, is very safe, but it's also just really important for you to be well um, because if you're not well, the baby's not going to be well. And that was really, really helpful for me to hear. But at the time, I wasn't really getting much support in terms of I wasn't really seeing a psychologist or if I was, I wasn't seeing one very often. I hadn't been diagnosed with OCD yet. It was really just like anxiety, like yeah. this is anxiety. Um, so I wasn't getting the right treatment. Um but at some point in both my pregnancies, I just felt really good after a while. And this doesn't happen with everyone. I know lots of different experiences of people going different ways. But I think from second trimester onwards, um, the OCD didn't stop, but it definitely got better. So that was a bit of a relief for me. Um, but then once I had Benji, you know, things things got really hard. Yep. Um, and I think... They get hard for everyone anyway. I think there's like, you know, such a dip in your hormones, like in your progesterone and your whatever, like everything just goes haywire and um, things were definitely, yeah, definitely got a lot harder and was definitely quite hard to cope, I think, with a little baby and um, a mental illness that hadn't been really properly treated.
0: And so when were you diagnosed?
2: Um, Well, I wasn't officially diagnosed until I was about 31, so Benji would have been about one and a bit, I think. But I would have had, you know, the onset of symptoms probably from about the age of seven. So it's a long, long time of, you know, not knowing what was going on. Decades. Yeah, decades. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And I think what I had realised, though, I'd kind of diagnosed myself because I had read an article about someone who had been through the experience of OCD and more specifically with um, pure O. And I was like, that's what I've got, I think about age 26 or something. Um, So I was pretty certain. But even then, you know, I think I saw a psychologist kind of regularly in the years leading up to my pregnancy, but I was never really comfortable talking about what was actually going on in my head. So it was really just like, oh, I'm, you know, it was just like I'm feeling anxious about this, anxious about that, and then of course, it was diagnosed as anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until um, Benji was really little, and you know, I was trying to cope with a little baby and really no sleep, um, that I think the OCD really ramped up and I remember just sitting in my car and feeling like I couldn't get out to do the shopping, like I just couldn't do what I had to do day to day. I just wanted to lie down, yeah. you know, and just not do anything um, for a few days, which wasn't an option really. But I actually started looking into inpatient facilities and, um, And that's when I called my dad and I was like, I need to do something, like I really need to properly sort this out once and for all because I feel like I've just been like skirting around it for so long Um, but this finally needs to be like treated head Mm. on and I need to find someone who will diagnose me and who knows what they're doing with OCD. And he was like, yeah, we'll make a plan, like even if it takes 12 months, let's try and find the people in Australia who who can who can actually do that and I was so lucky to have his support and actually have someone who would um kind of hold my hand through it and follow up with me, you know, every few days and be like, Have you done this? Have you followed this person up? Um, and eventually I found someone who who does um you know, has a lot of experience with O C D and that was just a huge game changer for me really. Yeah. It was just a huge relief. Finally, getting the right help.
0: Because does do things like stress and lack of sleep make it worse?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think they make everything worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when you've got OCD, you're not thinking logically anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, you really don't. Logic doesn't come into it. You tr- you try to be logical, but it never works, and you can't you can't really out logic OCD. Um, and that's what I was trying to do for so many years was trying to like work it out, like work out what's going on and um, try to talk it out with people. Or what, You know, I would always go to my mum for reassurance and things. But the feeling of being uncertain was always there and that fear never went away. So it wasn't until I started seeing someone who actually started doing exposure therapy, which is like facing your fears and actually being able to cope with uncertainty it wasn't until then that things actually started turning around so yeah so when you've got when you've got a little baby who i mean a little baby even who does sleep but when you've got one who doesn't um and everything's turned upside down and you can't think rationally anyway um everything goes a bit haywire yeah Yeah. and
0: then because elsie had a bit of trouble
2: with sleep? Yes. Yeah, we don't have babies who sleep. <laughs> I don't have babies who sleep either.
0: What the third one will be like. They've just gotten <laughs> oh, God. worse.
2: Like, oh, God. hopefully
0: number three. What are we
2: in for? Oh. Um, yeah, she didn't. No, she didn't sleep. And about six weeks after we had Elsie it was the first lockdown. Um. So, and Benji wasn't going to kinder. So we were all at home. And there's this baby who was just, I mean, she just cried. She just cried for about eight months, I reckon. Um, and I think Hugh and I, Hugh, Hugh being my husband, um, both went a bit insane. Mm. And the best thing. I did actually was go to Masada, so go to a sleep school at four months and that definitely helped. It got her into a bit of a routine but it wasn't until about eight months that she just stopped crying. One day she just woke up and she was just smiling and she was just a really happy baby from then on. But up until then it was, you know, I think it was reflux or something um, digestive related Um. And, yeah, it was really, really difficult and...
0: Because you also had a toddler and you were oh, all yeah. stuck at home.
2: Yeah, it was full on and it really affected Benji's behaviour and he was trying to cope with this new person who came, you know, who's coming home who doesn't shut up. Yeah. Um, and he, he then tried to, like, out-scream her a lot of the time and, um, and it was just mental. So it was really stressful. It was really stressful. And at the time, you know, I was getting you know, I was I was being treated and um, I was still seeing my psychologist on telehealth and but even even so, you know, I think we were going we were going a bit mad. Mm. Um, and that's when I think your relationship starts getting really under pressure. Yeah. When, you know, no one's getting sleep and no one can escape. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it's, it's, um, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on, on your relationship. So, you know, you start kind of, um, snapping in each other and, you know, sometimes you start realising you're like, you're not really, um, acting like you're on the same team. And I think that's something we learned, especially last year in the lockdowns to really try to communicate better because we're both tired at the end of the day and sometimes for both, you know, for different reasons. Yep. Um, like he will get up every time I have to get up or, you know, he'll if, you know, when I was looking after Elsie, he would be getting up for Benji. Um, so we were both exhausted and then he'd be working full days and by the end of the day we're both on empty.
0: Yeah.
2: But weren't really communicating it properly. So I think we learnt to do that a little bit better. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's really hard.
0: And that takes a lot of work too.
2: It does. A lot of practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. and that's hard work to do when you're really tired yeah
2: yeah but just with like having a baby like a new baby and OCD it's such a I think it's so common for women who maybe even don't have OCD before they have kids I don't really know the stats on it but I know it's so common for women who have just had a baby uh, or you know men as well it's not just women um, but anyone who's just had a little baby to start getting intrusive thoughts mm. and I think that's really common and then when it starts getting really um, you know when you you don't have sleep and it starts becoming like a bit of a loop and it starts really affecting you day to day that's really tough and I know a lot of women who have ended up in a you know a mother baby unit because they just can't cope
0: mm.
2: um, and a lot of the time the thoughts might be around something really, really, really horrible, like harming your baby, um, or just you know, just really difficult topics to talk about. And I think people then find it really hard to go seek help and be really honest about what they're talking about. So it just because they're worried they'll you know child services will be called or yeah. something like that, and so they suffer in silence. And it you know, might turn into OCD if they didn't have it before or, or postnatal depression or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like a really, really big problem. I think it's happening a lot because I just hear about it a lot mm-hmm. and I know so many people are suffering in silence. But I think if you can find someone you trust and someone who has experience with OCD, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to judge you. Yeah. Um, they're going to listen to you and they're going to give you – methods to, um, you know, to deal with it Mm. and to actually actually get better. And I just think that's really important because so many people are doing it by themselves.
0: Yeah. Not feeling like you can say it out loud. Totally, yeah. Must just make it way worse. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And did you find that you had any thoughts like that? Did you find you had any thoughts about harming the kids or...? I didn't, really, I
2: didn't really have those harm thoughts. Um, I, I know so many people who have. It's so common. Um, for some reason that didn't really, you know, I might have had a couple but it didn't really stick, you mm. know. Um, I think maybe around that time is when the some of the relationship OCD stuff started to surface because suddenly it wasn't just me and Hugh. It was me, Hugh and this little baby and we're suddenly this family unit. And so to have a thought like, what if I leave this relationship that will be explosive? Like that would be awful. Like I'll fracture this this unit that's so tight. Um, And it's not something I wanted. It was just something that caused me a lot of um, anxiety Mm. just thinking about it. So then I kept thinking more and more about it and I was like, well, how certain am I, you know, and – It's just a really hard one because um, you just go round and round in circles and I think that's when that started to come into play because I thought, oh, the stakes are higher now and I can't do anything to break this family up. So I think that's when that started to come into play. Um, But, yeah, like I said, I know know lots of people who have had the harm thoughts as well and actually... A lot of people, as well, who and I think this has to be talked about because it's not talked about. Um, but OCD will it will always attack the things that you're most fearful of, or that you don't want. And so, some people even might have the pedophilia OCD and be like, "Well, what if I, you know, what if I sexually assault my child?" Mm-hmm. The most awful thought to I think would you know come into any parents or carer's head. But that can come, and again, you know, if you if you're already finding it hard to talk to someone, and you feel like you need to talk about those thoughts, I mean, that can be terrifying. So, I just know that that's you know that definitely happens a lot, and people shouldn't feel ashamed. It's it's part of it's part of OCD, and it's something that can absolutely come and then go with the right treatment um so yeah there are all sorts of really awful thoughts that can attack when you're at your most vulnerable so um I think yeah I think it's just important to to talk about and so people feel a little bit less alone
0: Did you feel you could always talk to Hugh about it? Um,
2: I yeah, I I think I did. I not 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 everything until more recently. I think we we had a session with my psychologist, like both of us, mm. and she was actually able to explain it all much better than I could, and that was a really. Um, I don't know, it was like a really healing thing to do, I think, because I didn't feel the pressure of having to explain it. Yeah. I could get someone else to do it
0: yeah. <laughs> for me
2: <laughs> and someone who's really, you know, smart and succinct and just able to, to give him this background of how my mind works yeah. and that was really good for him as well because he's like, well, it sort of took the pressure off him a little bit because he's like, well, none of this is like to do with me and none of it's – her fault it's just the way it is Mm. um and so that was really good and I think even after that I I always felt like I could talk to him but after that it was even easier I think Mm. um and I feel very lucky that um nothing's off limits with him and I can talk to him about everything that's going on in my head um and I think that's the main thing for someone with OCD is feeling like you can talk to someone even if it's um, it's not it's not so that they'll give you the answer like because they won't have it, they mm. just won't have the answer. And even if you want them to give you reassurance like it'll help for a bit, but it won't it'll you know it won't cure it. But having having someone just to listen to you, I think is huge. I yep. think it's so important.
0: Because you could always talk really openly with your parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Do you try and foster that openness with your kids? Yeah,
2: it's something it's something we definitely try to do. Um, and I think I was trying to think about what it was that made me feel comfortable talking to my parents and I think it was that they modeled it themselves like they were quite vulnerable with us mm-hmm. about whatever they might be going through or whatever fears they have. Um, my dad's someone who's always done meditation. And so he'd always go off and do these 10-day retreats um, and he'd always explain to us um, that he needs it for his mental health and he needs it to quieten his mind. And I remember going into like he would meditate in the mornings and I'd sometimes go in and just sit there with him and try to understand what he was doing. But it just meant that um, I think me and my brother felt like it was safe to talk to them um, about whatever was going on in our heads Yeah, so I think we definitely try to do that with Benji and Elsie. Like I, especially with Benji at the moment, um, he's got a lot of fears around um, like the police, like being, like Mm. being, doing the wrong thing and going to jail. Like he's really, and it's, it, I think it's quite a normal thing, but I remember that as a kid and I'm like, oh no. I just, you know, it just kind of brings up a lot of stuff and I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. Um, so I guess I try and Hugh, we both try to, um, to talk as honestly as we can. And, you know, I talk about seeing a worry doctor um, and, and Hugh does as well and just try to normalise that, I think. Yeah. I think that's kind of all we can do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How do you feel now? I mean, you're pregnant, so maybe quite good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this
2: pregnancy has been a bit different actually. Um, I feel much more up and down at the moment, yeah. I think. Um, I feel – but I, I think, look, it's a good question. I I think I've come to terms with the fact that I won't be um, – really ever done with OCD, it won't be like, yep, I've clocked that and now I can move on. Um, It's something that I've – or I'm learning to manage. Because I understand it a lot more, um, it makes it a lot easier because I'm able to see what's going on in my mind sort of from more of a distance, I think. Um, So I think understanding it has had a huge impact and then – Doing regular therapy has definitely helped but I've definitely had ups and downs and I think especially during some of the lockdowns I really regressed a bit and went into a deep dark OCD hole again for a few days but it wouldn't last as long, you know, I'm able to come back up a lot quicker. So um, I think a lot better than, you know, I was doing when I was pregnant with Benji, that's for sure.
0: So since you've been pregnant with Benji, he's five? Yeah. So... So really the last five years have been, I mean, and then also COVID and Mm. then you had Elsie and now you're pregnant again. Mm. It's been, a, in terms of your mental health, a massive five years because you were diagnosed and then you started your, um, sorry, I can't remember the name of the treatment that you Exposure response therapy, Yep. yep. Um. Yeah, that's a heavy. Yeah. Five years. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And you put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very Shit. much. <laughs> um, <gasps> but also to be doing yeah. all of that with little kids yeah. is like wow. That's you're yeah. amazing. Oh, it's really hard. I think you know. Yeah, I've, we've got so much support.
2: I don't know how people do it without grandparents. I feel very lucky. We've got two sets of grandparents who are always willing to help, Mm. always willing to drop what they're doing, um, give Hugh and I weekends away sometimes and just, you know, just have that time. Um, But it has been really hard and I feel like at times I haven't coped well at all Mm. Um, and sometimes I look at how Benji reacts to things and I think, oh, shit, I've done that to him. <laughs> I've done that to him. He's seen me react that way and now that's what he does. Um, yeah, especially during during lockdown, lockdown there were just times when I just, I mean, he would scream and I would try to scream louder or, mm-hmm. you know, I poured a glass of water on his head once, <laughs> cold water on his head because I couldn't <laughs> handle the meltdown. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it and, I, you know, I snapped and I feel like there were a lot of those times that then caused so much guilt. Um, but, you know, now having a bit more distance from it with things being a little bit more normal and a little bit more opened up, I just think, well, there's no wonder. Like, yeah. there's no wonder people snap because you're under so much pressure. Yeah,
0: it's like yeah. a bubble.
2: Yeah, and the, and there's no wonder that kids are getting anxious because they absorb everything that's going on, and their yeah. world's not normal now. Um, and of course, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna get more on edge. And um, but it was so good because I actually was, oh, I was feeling so bad about it. I started, and I think this was partly the OCD as well. I started googling child abuse, like he's oh. is, is throwing water on your kid child abuse and it was not helping, the answers I was getting. And then my dad came over to take the kids for a walk and I told him and I was in such a state and he just laughed, like he really laughed. He thought it was hilarious and he said um, he told me a story about one of his work colleagues who had squirted her child with a um, tomato sauce bottle <laughs> at dinner because she was so sick of him. And she and he's like, you haven't, like, she's topped you with that. Like, yeah. you know, you're fine. Um, and I think, like, just trying to laugh about it definitely happened.
0: <laughs> I struggle because the tantrums are so irrational. Yeah. And oh, it's oh, that, yes like, they and they're so upset mm. and you just – of all, all, I want to do is be like, shut up! Yeah. It doesn't even, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't even matter. matter. Yeah, totally. But there's that whole, you know, you've got to, you know, model calm behaviour, and they, you know, get their calmness from you when oh, they're man, feeling like whiten- kids will not be calm. like, No, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so hard. It's so so hard, and I think, I think if you've got a few parents you can talk to about it who will relate and who will be like, yeah, I, you know called my kid a little fucker or something like I don't know like <laughs> that's not great but like you need that honesty and yes. you don't always get it um yeah. and that's when you feel really isolated so I think being able to talk to someone about all your stuff ups mm. um and have someone there being like yeah you're fine, fine. you're great like yeah. um I think that's really helpful but um gosh yeah there are lots of times I've been ashamed of.
0: <laughs> yeah you're not alone there it's, yeah but also I think well how I try and um, reframe it so that I feel a bit better about it Mm. is then being able to explain that I find it hard too and sometimes I get overwhelmed Mm. and I'm sorry that I reacted that way Mm. but you know I I try and go oh maybe this is a teachable moment
2: totally and you can repair there like that's what my psychologist has told me she's like you know you've got this relationship with your with your kid and there's this space in between you and your child and you can't always control what's going on and one kid's going to react differently to how you parent than another kid and you can't always control it you know and as long as you're you're trying and you're loving them and you can try to sometimes repair what you've you know, maybe things that you're a bit ashamed of, yeah. um, like saying, like you're saying, you know, I've, I stuffed up, I shouldn't have said that, I'm really sorry, I find this hard. I think that can be huge. I think that can be so, um, yeah, like you say, like a real teachable moments for you and your kid. Yeah. Um, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourselves because yeah. we're all, we're all so imperfect yeah. and we're all really trying but we're not going to be the perfect parent all the time. Can't be, and you, yeah, you can't be. There's too much, too much pressure.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of pressure.
2: Yeah.
0: Has becoming a mum changed your sense of self and identity?
2: Yeah, it has. Um, I think before I had Benji, I hadn't found what I wanted to do yet, mm-hmm. um, and. I was working in PR and I was working in a really great company with really great people but it wasn't – it didn't feel right to me. And I, had, I didn't feel like I'd gotten to a stage in my career where I was really satisfied and then having a kid made that even harder because I was like I haven't – I feel like I haven't achieved what I want to achieve. Um And I tried to go back to that job, it just didn't work out, so I quit. And then I was sort of just floating around for a long time and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I felt this pressure of working it out. And what I found really hard was when I was a new mum, and even now people would, you know, maybe come over pre-COVID times um, and – They'd ask Hugh all the questions. You know, this would just be friends or family or whatever. It would be like, how's work? How's this? How's that? How's the travel? How's... And I wasn't getting any questions. You know, mm-hmm. it was like I was invisible because the job was being a mum and no one thinks, very few people think that that's worthy of asking questions about. Yeah. Um, I found that really frustrating. Um, and I still find that frustrating because I feel like it's not valued. Um, at all, really. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, the question is the question would be, when are you going back to work? <laughs> um, and you just want to punch them in the face. They're like, this is work. This is work. Um,
0: I work really this hard, 24 <laughs> yep.
2: Um. So I found that really hard. I found other people talking about their jobs and what they were doing. Um, and you know, and seeing on Instagram people like absolutely excelling in whatever Instagram they're doing, the it's really, really hard. And I kept putting this pressure on myself to to work out what I wanted to do. And I think it's one of the reasons I decided to enrol in a Masters of Social Work because I was like, I need something, <laughs> I need something to define me <laughs> that's not motherhood, and it's something I've been enjoying, and I'm I'm sort of still doing. Um, But I think that's what it came from was, like, this search for, like, what can people talk to me about that's not motherhood, you know. Um, But we shouldn't have to feel like that. Um, But that's kind of just the way I feel like it is at the moment. Um, I think
0: people don't know what to ask.
2: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: But it's like ask anything. Like ask about the labour, you know. Yeah. I find, like, asking how people are but really asking how, like, how are you, Mm. you know, instead of just, hey, going, oh, yeah, good Yeah, how are you really
2: feeling? Yeah. And, and, you know, treat it as, I don't know if there'd be many men listening to a a mummification podcast. (laughs) Hopefully there are. But even if, I mean, asking a new mum, like treating it like a job that she's been promoted to, you know. Like, what do you enjoy about it? Like, what are you finding hard? What are you loving? Like, I think women feel seen, um, and men feel seen when they're when they're asked about um, what they're doing when they're a stay at home parent. Mm. I think it's really validating. Yeah. So I wish that happened more. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What do you enjoy about it? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>
2: at the moment oh good question it's your question (laughs) (laughs) it's my question oh oh there's so much I enjoy about it I I enjoy what I'm enjoying at the moment is with having two is seeing their relationship kind of blossom I mean most of the time they're hitting each other but like there was this moment the other day where I was just like, oh, I just like flopped on the couch. My feet were so tired. And I was like, I just need to lie down for a sec. And they were just playing together on in Elsie's room and just laughing. And it didn't, you know, it only lasted like five minutes, but it was pure bliss. Like it was really beautiful to listen to. And Benji was laughing at Elsie because she's always trying to make him laugh. And just seeing that dynamic change from baby to and toddler to kind of two little kids, or toddler and little kid, um, is really lovely. Yeah. It's really, really nice. Um, So, and also I'm really loving Benji being really curious about everything. Now that he's five, I feel like everything's a question, which can be tiring, but it's also really um, interesting to see how he looks at the world and he very much understands, obviously, that there's another baby coming and he... Um, he's called the baby microphone because <laughs> he wants to sing into he-, he wants to sing into his head. That was the reason. So he's called baby microphone, and he asks so many questions. And he's got this little baby doll that he um, sort of has been dressing lately, like finding little clothes for, um, and putting in a little bag, which is really sweet. So yeah, I just um, seeing how his brain works is really fascinating.
0: Do you ever run out of answers? Oh, all the time. Sometimes (laughs) Marley asks me something and I'm like, um. Yeah. Or we'll get to like our fifth why. Yes. And I'm, I don't know.
2: You're done. Yeah. I think I've told him to ask Siri a lot (laughs) (laughs) because he really got into, he thought her name was Miri, so it was like, I'm going to ask Miri. And that was great. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> um, yeah, all the time, all the time. And usually, the question he goes back to is, "What were, what was I before I was here?" Oh, and like, my god, <laughs> like how amazing is yeah. that question? And I said something once about like, oh, I don't know, being a star or something, like being stardust or just something. So abstract, but he took it really literally, and so now he talks about being a star. <laughs> start <laughs> before he was born and oh it can get really confusing but um he he often has big yeah big big questions. Big
0: questions Yeah yeah um so on top of your study yeah you also have your so O C D website. Yes, yes. Um and how did that come about? You do that with a friend?
2: Yeah, yeah so a friend of mine um who I went to school with um Rosie and I started So OCD, a couple of years ago we started having the idea of doing it and it kind of through lockdown we worked on it um, and just decided there needed to be a place, um, kind of like a one-stop shop, I guess, for people who think they might have OCD or who do have OCD or maybe who think their child might have OCD and they want information about what it is but also... Um, information about how they can get help because I think we both found that there's information out there but it's so hard to find and there's, you know, some great, you know, UK sites, great US sites but there just wasn't a lot of really local kind of information um, that was really relevant. So we tried to put all that together um, in one place and um, it's been really – it was really – like a good project to work on, I think. Throughout lockdown, it was really good for for us to do, and um, we've had some really great feedback. And in the process, have met a lot of people online who, um, you know, might be doing something similar. Or there was there's a guy in um, New South Wales who was putting together a like an OCD um, kind of reference basically a website where you can type in your postcode and you can see what psychologists um, specialise in OCD around you. Um, So just meeting all these people doing really amazing things in that area was really great as well. So, um, yeah, it's been a really fun thing to work on actually.
0: And what's something empowering that you would say to other mums? Oh, gosh. Gosh.
2: I think I would say that, oh, this is a hard one, isn't it? There's so much you could say. I think I would say that, like, and I really mean this wholeheartedly. I think it gets thrown around and sometimes it sounds a bit condescending. But I think being especially a stay-at-home mum or dad, is like the hardest job in the world. It really is so hard. There's no KPIs. There's no one mentoring you necessarily. There's no feedback, or if there is feedback, it can be really brutal feedback. (laughs) It's really rubbish feedback. (laughs) Um, It's so gruelling. So I think I would just say if you're in the trenches, like, like you're an absolute hero, you know, you're an absolute superman or superwoman Um, and you're making such a difference to a little person's life even when it doesn't feel like you are. Like I think every little, you know, every snotty nose that you wipe or every breakfast that you might begrudgingly be making is actually like having such such a huge profound effect on someone's life and all those little um, jobs add up, and they change a person's life. And it's just, um, it's, you know, you don't feel like you get much reward. I think sometimes, but I think, I think, um, I think they're the superheroes. Yeah, I really do. Yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing your story with me. No worries. It it thanks for so having nice. me. No, it was mm-hmm. it was my pleasure. It was nice. and being in these fancy rooms. I nice know. Too. That oh, it was very
2: relaxing. Yeah, <laughs> so quiet. Yeah, I can just sit here oh. for the next hour. <laughs> just, we can sit here and not talk for the next hour if you want. it will be great listening.
0: Thank you so much, Penny, for your honesty and openness. I really loved our chat today. There are links in the show notes to other podcast episodes Penny has been on to talk about OCD, um, On the Imperfects and No Filter with Mia Friedman. They're excellent episodes and really worth a listen to learn more about Penny and what living with OCD is like. There's also a link to Penny's website, soocd.com.au. If this episode has been triggering for you, I recommend you get in contact with Lifeline on 13 11 14. Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brodie Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot-Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.